Overdose deaths have risen rapidly around the country during the pandemic. It's a trend driven largely by the spread of fentanyl. In California, the push to save lives and stop the fallout has led some activists and politicians to propose safe injection sites, places where people can take drugs with clean needles without any fear of arrest. There's already one site like that operating unofficially in San Francisco, but out in Vancouver in Canada, there's a neighborhood that has hosted a safe injection site, a totally legal one, for almost 20 years. Fentanyl? Oh, yes. That's kind of a pretty color. <laughs> I don't know why that one is. <laughs> it's actually, it's part of the draw. It's yeah. a pretty lavender, isn't it? Yeah, well, people are looking. I'm Gustavo Ariano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. It's Friday, May 27th, 2022. Today, the tricky choices in setting up safe injection sites. Can you give people a safe space to do drugs without encouraging addiction? Anita Chabrier is my colleague and fellow columnist. She writes about California. Anita, welcome to The Times. Thanks for having me on. So you recently went inside a safe injection site in Vancouver. What did you see? It was really eye-opening. I didn't know what to expect when I went up to Vancouver. They've been running these sites for 20 years now. Some of the spaces are indoors. Some of the spaces are outdoors. But it really is a place where anyone can walk in with their own illegal substance and find not just a, a safe place with clean supplies, but really a place where no one is going to judge them for what they're going to do. If he's sitting in an alleyway or some cold, rainy, crappy place. One of the people I met in particular was a, a young man named Jeffrey Bordas. And he was in a safe consumption site that's in an alley that the locals call Piss Alley. Why do you like coming here to do it? Uh, it's safe. Yeah? And yeah. you really do feel it makes a difference? Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of this lovely little courtyard surrounded by flowers. And I spoke to him while he was preparing fentanyl to inject. And he really was a lovely man in the grips of addiction. Nice to be accepted to a place where the stigma doesn't uh, you know, follow you everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I would love to see him out of addiction. But what it showed me is that I would rather have them have a safe place where they're going to stay alive for today. So maybe tomorrow they can make a different decision. And if someone like Jeffrey was in California, what would be their options? They would be in a gutter. They'd be the guy on the sidewalk. They'd be the guy in the alley. I've heard of some of the folks up in Vancouver saying that they were taking water out of the gutters to mix drugs with. You know, imagine injecting that into yourself and, and the sickness and the cost that that brings to society. So Jeffrey would be one of those guys on Skid Row that you see sprawled and face down if it wasn't for these safe places. You know, I, I was a convert. I didn't go up there thinking this is what I would think. But I really believe that this gives him not just safety physically, but it, it gives him some dignity to create a stability to build back from. And I take it that at the safe injection site of Vancouver that you went to, there was those drugs that you could do to reverse overdoses. Everyone has Narcan in Vancouver. Have you reversed overdoses? Yes, yes. Many, many, many. Oh, we're really? Here and after we go in here, yes. Wow. You walk into these facilities and there's literally just dozens and dozens of packages of it. You walk down the street and they've passed it out to everyone. 
How does it make you feel to know how to do that and to do that for oh, other people? Yeah, yeah. A thousand times better than when I first started. It was kind of terrifying. Really, you know? Oh, was it? Uh, I can, it's got to be. Yeah. Or even just, just somebody goes down and you don't know what to do. Um, that's a, a gut-wrenching feeling. Yeah. So once you get the training and how to do it properly and, and effectively, it really, uh, I don't want to say it slows you down, but take a breath and you go, okay, let's do this. And you just do it. And it, that panic is gone. Everyone on the street, whether they're addicts or workers or even shopkeepers, has Narcan. It's almost impossible to not come across Narcan within a few minutes of being on East Hastings. Wow. You know, I think one of the problems with the safe injection site or safe consumption site debate is that there's this expectation that these facilities will stop overdoses. That if we open them, suddenly our numbers are going to drop and there aren't going to be overdoses. I think that that's really, unfortunately, just not reality. The fact is, drug use has gone up tremendously during the pandemic, and drugs have become more dangerous. We have fentanyl in our drug supply now. In Canada, they have something called benzos mixed with the fentanyl. So overdoses are actually on the rise. Even in Canada, even on East Hastings, you're seeing the numbers skyrocket. That's not indicative of these sites being a failure. That's indicative of society doing more drugs. But what you can say about these facilities is over their time in Canada, they've reversed more than 40,000 overdoses. That's 40,000 people who did not die because they were in one of these centers. And so I look at it as we are not going to arrest our way out of a drug crisis. We're not stopping the flow of drugs to our street, although I greatly wish we were. I can only hope that the people making these bad choices stay alive long enough to find their way to some kind of sobriety and stability. And that's where I see these centers really playing a role. It's just keeping people alive for today so that tomorrow can be a better day. And because of that, that's what's always interested people in these safe injection sites. And in California, what legislation is being proposed and what are people saying about those bills? We have one bill right now that's working its way through committee. It's very controversial that would allow a pilot program in San Francisco, Los Angeles, and Oakland. The truth is San Francisco's actually kind of gone ahead and is doing this a little bit illegally or illicitly or however you want to look at it. There's a very controversial place called the Linkage Center or the Tenderloin Center where people are being allowed to do safe consumption. This bill would give that probably some legality. There's still the federal laws that prohibit this, but you've seen places like New York go ahead with it anyway. So the bill would open up statewide three pilot programs if those cities chose to do it. We'll have more after the break. Anita, I've heard talks about safe injection sites for years, but it was always theoreticals. I was surprised to learn from reading your column that Vancouver long ago made this happen. How did that get going? It really came out of the HIV crisis. Way back in the 90s, there was a movement in Vancouver to address that the gay community especially was being hard hit by HIV and needed clean supplies. And like San Francisco, it really started out a little illicitly there without all the formal approvals. But then in 2003, they opened up the Insight Injection Facility 
which was the, the first open consumption site. It was on East Hastings Street in Vancouver. And from there, they've really just grown the concept. So that first facility started out as a kind of a medical facility, you know, with nurses and things overlooking people or, or more trained people. And now they've really expanded to a peer model where neighborhood workers and other addicts can supervise. And honestly, there's dozens of these places in Vancouver. You'll see subsidized housing units where they'll have just a small space for safe consumption within the housing units. They've really embraced this as a way of harm reduction and doing business up there. Coming from California, I'm sure you saw this and you're like, where am I? On so many levels, because, you know, we think California is always at the forefront of everything, right? But we are literally 20 years behind when it comes to talking about harm reduction in this area. I don't want to sugarcoat anything. And I think if you read the column, you'll see that. To walk down East Hastings Street is somewhat terrifying. There is no direction you can look where someone is not injecting or smoking. I personally believe that we are not going to force people off drugs and that only they can make the choice. But as a society, there's a cost to having people with substance abuse disorders, right? There's the health cost, there's the emergency room cost, there's the ethical costs. And so what I see in Vancouver is a real attempt to address that and to help people move towards getting off the drugs at their own pace and while keeping them alive. So I'm assuming the gentleman on the corner in the chairs are selling drugs, is that accurate? One of the people I met that was just such an impressive ambassador for the area was Trey Helton. And he was one of our guides around East Hastings. Good, bro. I'm going to get smoky. He knows everyone. He kind of keeps order and helps everyone along. And he used to be an addict for many, many years. I stopped paying my rent, stopped paying my bills, I stopped going to work. And then I just decided to like, come live here because this is close to the source, right? Like I always get dope 24-7, even at three in the morning. He kind of came out of the punk rock scene. Um, he's kind of a tough guy. But at, at some point he realized that that was, you know, not the direction he wanted to go in life. Uh, what was rock bottom for you? Oh, shit. It's like my 33rd birthday pushing a shopping cart for the fifth year in a row. It's like, it's like super fucking depressing, but I was like, I realized that I had failed at dying a junkie. I was like, my goal was to die a junkie. I was like, I'm going to fucking burn out and fade away like Kurt Cobain. And fucking everyone's going to show, see how bad I hurt them by hurting me. So he got sober. He's been clean for years. And I see the same thing now as like being a harm reduction worker. I see my friends that have made some poor choices that maybe, uh, watching them slowly become crispy critters. He's really trying to help people figure a way out, but he knows Vancouver's reality is the same as California's. Treatment is hard to get. So like when I'm working as general manager and I'm talking to like Sketchy Dave and they say, you know, Trey, like, I feel fucking like I'm done. Like I, I wanna, I wanna get out of here. Like I'm thinking about detox. That fucking window is like that big, right? Yeah. So like. I called the detox access center number and it's like, they got to go get a methadone script first. They got to get a TB shot. It's easy to find a place to do drugs safely in Vancouver, but if you really want detox, there's bottlenecks. There's no like 
I can just call a number, have them picked up in a safe ride, ambulance transfer, and taken to a detox facility. Right. The unfortunate thing is like I have to get them to lie. So I'm like, if you really want, I don't have detox now. You can uh, you'll call this number. They'll give you an intake date two weeks from now. Uh, you're going to have to go get a TB test and a methadone <laughs> script. And then two weeks from now, if you remember the day, 9 a.m., say May 22nd, you have to be at Vancouver Detox. Like, that's very high barrier. I hear in San Francisco they have detox on demand already. I mean, sort of, kind of. Yeah. I, I mean, it's not, it's certainly not a detox bed for everyone who wants yeah. it, you know? Yeah. So what I have to tell them to do is if you really want it right now, go to the hospital, use specific language, tell them that... I have a plan. I'm going to give away all my stuff. I'm going to walk to the Lionsgate Bridge and I'm going to jump off. Uh-huh. And I've been feeling this way for a while and nothing's going to change my mind. That's what you got to do. Tell yeah. them you're suicidal. They'll put you on a mental health unit. It'll be a strike on your mental health record. But from the mental health facility, you have uh-huh. to advocate to the doctors and nurses that you want to transfer Jesus. to a detox facility from that point. That's how you get detox on demand here. It's That's crazy. Shitty. Possible. <laughs> yeah. More after the break. Anita, the people that you talked to near the injection site, around the injection site, were they like full-fledged supporters of it? There's people who support it and people who don't. I think most people support safe injection sites in and of themselves. It's when you get into that larger discussion of harm reduction and the line between enabling someone and helping them out. One woman I met in particular was an Indigenous woman named Winook, and she has been down in this East Hastings area since 2008 and she really feels that it was a trap for her. Everything is at your fingertips, and you don't have to do anything to get your food in your stomach for the day. You don't have to worry about anything except for doing drugs. And there's a fine line between enabling and keeping someone safe. She feels that it's just making it too easy for her to, to do drugs and to get drugs, and she can't find a way out to come down here and I'd see my I'd see my family, you know, and not just First Nations, everybody down here. And wonder is there ever a time where there's this is going to be healed. And I had to come to the conclusion back then that that's not going to happen. When I came back and I ended up here this time, they sell this as a lifestyle. They don't even tell us that, you know, this is a win for now anymore. They're happy to have us here forever. There's no even hope left. That kills me. And so I do think that there's a hard and real conversation about how you make sure that you're always helping people towards that better future, not on drugs. Well, not forcing them deeper into shame or denial or out of, of safe spaces. Who would be the beneficiary of keeping these people as addicts? Well, 
Winook and, and some other people do point out that there is an entire industry around harm reduction now. It literally millions and billions of dollars are spent on different kinds of programs to, to help people who are homeless, who are addicted. We all know the programs. So there is some sense that as those programs take on bigger and bigger budgets, there is incentive to keep treating people instead of moving them forward. Do you buy into that? I think bureaucracy always comes with dangers. Huh. There's always inertia in a bureaucracy. But if you ask me, if, is it better to incarcerate people and keep, keep our jails being the bureaucracy, keep all of our mental health and all our substance abuse behind bars? No, I think that's a terrible idea. So if we have to move some of that bureaucracy to helping people before they get into that system, then I'm all for it. Winook really touched my heart because she's clearly someone who doesn't want to be down there and is searching for a way out. And I think we can never, ever ignore those realities and work very hard to make sure that there are clear and easy pathways for someone like Winook to get out. Like that does happen, but it's not going to happen if they die, right? But another woman I met, Sarah Blythe, who's kind of the mama bear of East Hastings, she founded the overdose prevention site. She lives down there. Her whole life is in that area trying to help people. I mean, if you see people, you know, using in an alley, like with unclean supplies, they get like terrible skin infections, they get sepsis, they overdose when he's there. It's just, to me, that's much less compassionate. I don't view it as enabling at all. And I think we have lots of evidence, like 20 years of evidence here locally to support that that's the case. I really do have to say that I see the sense in her point of just keeping people alive until they can find that way out. And that's always the problem of that line of harm reduction. Are, are you helping or are you enabling? And it's a gray line and it's different for every person. But I don't think that having people like Winook who feel that she's not been helped negates that there are so many people that someone like Sarah feels that they have kept alive for one more day and maybe that there is a pathway out. There will always be neighborhoods where drug use is more common. And that really isn't fair to the neighborhoods. Do we go with legal crackdowns like some people are calling for right now? Is there some line in between where we can do harm reduction and also really think about quality of life in these neighborhoods? Trey, who's doing a lot of work on the front lines of this crisis, thinks we should try everything we can, but that the reality is people will go to the streets looking for drugs. Do you think safe supply could ever replace street supply? Um. No, there'll be lots of people that'll still want to buy street supply. There needs to be safe supply for the people that aren't ready to stop. I think it's just all so complicated. Yeah. You know? It's not one clear, clear solution. You need lots of different options. So it's complicated and it's gray, and I just don't think we can say these sites are good or bad, or they're the cure or they're not the cure. They're just a Band-Aid while we try to figure out the rest of this mess. Anita, thank you so much for this conversation. Thanks for having me on. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Rowan Moore Garrity was a head fan this episode and Mark Nieto mixed and mastered it. 
Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Kasha Brasalian, David Toledo, Ashley Brown, and Angel Carreras. Our editorial assistants are Madeline Amato and Carlos Eloera. Our engineers are Mario Diaz, Mark Nieto, and Mike Heflin. Our editor is Kinsey Moreland. Our executive producers are Hasmin Aguilera and Shawnee Hilton, and our theme music is by Andrew Eatman. Like what you're listening to? Then make sure to follow the times on whatever platform you use. Don't make us to put you podcasts. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back next Tuesday, not Monday, because that's going to be Memorial Day. So we'll be back next Tuesday with all the news in this matter. Gracias. <laughs>